0: Today, I was um I was just gonna, I put a little sermon together. Um, hopefully, you know, it won't be one of my regular forty minute jobs, but I can't promise anything. Um, and I just wanted to talk about the first family. I mean, here we are, families trying to bring our children up, you know, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I, I just looked back, and we talked about Cain and Abel last. Uh, Last week, and I kind of want to go back to that story a little bit and talk about the first family, Adam, Eve, um, you know, Cain, Abel, and just kind of look at, at their lives, some of the, maybe the mistakes they made, and in hopes that we don't make, you know, the same mistakes. So, before we get started, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for just your love, for your presence for us to just be able to sit out here and sing how great you are. You're the name above all names. You're so worthy to be praised. And I pray, Lord, that that just... Triggers something in us to just want to breathe in those words, how great is our God, and to exhale praise. You're the name above all names. And I just pray, Lord, that we begin to to get worship, to to realize that this relationship with you is not something we do on Sundays, but it's something that we breathe in day after day after day, and we walk with you, and we we follow your way. So, Lord, I just pray that you will... Uh, You'll be, your spirit will be on this message that you'll let us think about something and maybe a way we hadn't thought of that you'll reveal things to us that maybe we haven't seen before or we haven't realized. And I just pray, Lord, that you, you allow us to leave here Bet, better parents, better Christians, just maybe just a little more equipped to go out here and follow you and follow your ways. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. So when I talk about the first family, Um, you know, the first kid that we believe is born or uh, uh, that that we we read in Genesis um, is Cain. Um, And we're going to kind of get into that in a little bit. But when you read Jude, you know, right before Revelation, in Jude verse 1 or chapter 1 verse 11, really not a chapter 1, it's just Jude, um, it says, woe to them, they've taken the way of Cain, okay, and so there's some there's like a negative there's like a warning right here that listen there's a whole bunch of people that have taken the way of Cain. Now, as far as where we are in history, um, Jude comes right before Revelation. Now we understand Revelation as everything that God's going to do. He is going to destroy evil. Evil does not win. God wins, and he will renew this earth. Sin will be removed. Everything will be restored. You know, the world will experience what we experience as individuals as a restoration of our souls and a restoration of our relationship with God. And that's what's going to happen in the future. I mean, God will restore This land to what it was back then. And it's just kind of interesting that just before all that revelation stuff, he gives us a warning right here. It says, be careful that you don't behave like Cain. Woe to them. This is a very strong warning. They've taken the way of Cain. Now, when we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15... You know, it says the Lord God. know last week we talked about how Adam was formed. You know, God made the mud man. He, he, he knelt down. He breathed into his nostrils. You know, to me, that's breathing in God, and he exhaled. You know, it was the breath of God that came out of him. It was praise, you know, it was worship. And so the Lord God took him after that happened, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work. Now, for me, I always kind of thought work was part of the curse. You know, like, man, I got to go to work. Um, But, man, this is before sin. This is before all this. God created man to work in a garden. Now, I found it kind of interesting as I thought about this is that the parable of the sower is found in three places in the Bible. In Matthew 13, Luke 8, and Mark 4. I don't know why, you know, John didn't mention it. But it's found in three places. And I thought about how that's really where we are today as Christians. I mean, you know, this, the, the, the farmer scattered those seeds, and good stuff grows. But, you know, sometimes it's not so good soil. And so, you know, sometimes that it falls on the hard ground, and the birds eat it up immediately. It never, it never takes root, it never grows anything. And so, you know, sometimes that happens. And then others fall, you know, where it goes down into a little bit of root. But as soon as it, the sun comes, it scorches and burns it up. And some are among thorns. And so I, I just thought about how well, that's what my job is. My job is to keep my garden clean and free of weeds. And then you know, real life, when I look at my little flower bed outside my house, uh, if I will just go out early you know, when, it's, when those weeds are just starting, they're so easy to pick. But if I start waiting weeks and weeks, they start spreading and those roots get down and they're so deep. And it's very hard to pick. It's very hard to clean up. you got to start mixing stuff together to kill it and then doing all this kind of stuff. And it makes it hard. So, you know, the Lord God took the man and he wanted him to work in the garden. And in a very similar way, that's our work—to keep our lives clean, to keep the fruit of God growing in our lives. We got to remove these weeds, and we got to take care of our Christian walk with God. You know, there's certain places we don't go. There's certain certain things we don't do because they can become weeds—evil things that choke out the fruit of God in our lives. Okay, so keep on going in verse sixteen. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. You're free. You know that there was one rule. You know one, you you can eat anything you want, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And of course we know this as you know, it didn't mean instant death, you know, like eat it dead. I mean, it was more like, eat it, you know, several hundred years later, you're dead. But, you know, because of this one act of disobedience, you know, you think somebody else's sin doesn't uh, doesn't affect you? We all have an appointment with death because of this one act of sin. It was never meant for us to to, to experience death. But we do because sin entered the world through this one act of disobedience. So, moving to Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Okay. Always temptation comes in this form. Does God really love you? Would he have let this happen if he really Loved you. Look at all the evil people, how they prosper. Why don't you be more like them? He'll get you to doubt the promises you know to be true and that you've received from him. Did he really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay. The woman said we may eat from the, from the trees in the garden. This is true. Okay? But God did say, you now this is very important. You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Okay? If you're following along in your Bible, you need to underline that part, and you must not touch it, because that's not, God didn't say that. He said, don't eat from this tree that's in the middle of the, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you must not touch it. So where did that come from? And I believe Adam with very well, good intentions when, you know, cause it, God told him and he was to tell Eve, you know, so he was preaching God's word. And what he did was he add to it. Remember in revelation, it says, don't add to this word. Don't take away from it or it will be added to you. The curses in this book. Okay. So he added to this word and he brought a curse upon us and you must not Touch it or you will die. Verse 4. You will not certainly die. Get you, get you to question. Get you to think about it. Now he tells you a flat out lie. You won't die. Okay. And he's like usual. He's kind of right. You won't die instantly. But you will eventually die. The serpent said to the woman. For God knows when you eat of it. Your eyes will be open. And you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil, so when the woman saw that the fruit of tree was good for and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband now this um, I tell you guys this i 'm I'm, I'm just now in the last few months, started to kind of change my mind about what 's happened what 's happening here in this in this little part of this verse. You know, I've, I I like when God challenges beliefs that I've held since I was very little, you know, to me, I always kind of thought Eve ate it. And, you know, and she was like, here, Adam. And he was like, okay, I, you know, she didn't, nothing happened to her. So I'll go ahead and eat it too. And so, you know, a lot kind of, kind of went on, you know, right there. And I just kind of thought of it as just like, just real quick, just a real quick act of disobedience. But I've also got to think, I mean, Adam was very aware of what I believe of what God said. I think he should have dragged her as soon as that serpent started talking. He should have got her out of there. Or he should have picked up a stick and beat that serpent to death. Um, You know, I don't know, you know, what should have happened. But I believe it was a lot more calculated than what we believe. I mean, you think about our Savior Jesus Christ. He came down here and he chose To take on the sin of the world, he said, Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink people's sin because it's going to separate me from you, God. It's going to, and so, with that being the case, I'm starting to have a little more sympathy for Adam. I believe, and I'm starting to believe that it happened more like this. I believe he watched his wife partake of that fruit. And then I think before his eyes, he watched the effects of sin. He went from a God-breathed, you know, perfect and holy man to watching his bride fall, be in a fallen state. And I, be, I believe it was so devastating for him to watch. He's like, I can't bear to see that. And so she hands him the fruit and says, here. And so, what does he do with it? Does he just say? Does he just mindlessly, like I thought, just take a bite? It's over. No, I believe that that it's a little more heroic than we give him credit credit for. I think he saw his wife and said, "You know what? If I'm gonna save her." If I'm going to save her from sin, I'm going to have to become sin. I'm going to have to take this in and become her, and we'll figure it out. We'll do whatever we have to do, but I love her, and I want to save her. And so I think he made a calculated decision to become sin. Now, Jesus later on, he who knew no sin would become sin, that I through him might become the righteousness of God, but... Adam, he didn't have that kind of power, you know, that Jesus had, but he did make the decision, said, listen, I've got to become her. If, I'm gonna, if there's ever going to be a way, I've got to take in that sin. So in a very similar way, he takes in sin and sin permanently gets in our bloodline all the way until Jesus comes along and says, I will become sin that you may become the righteousness of God in me. But as it is, as soon as they made that decision, they began to make excuses and blame others. God comes down and says, what have you done, Eve? You know, what have you done? Um, or he says, Adam, did you eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I told you not to? And he immediately says, it's her fault. The woman you gave me, she gave me some, and I ate it. And so God and so God says, Eve, what have you done? It's that serpent's fault. He deceived me. You know, you made that serpent. Started talking to him. And I started believing some of his lies. And I did it. And then, you know, looked at the serpent. And he, he pronounces, listen, you're going to be cursed above all the animals. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I believe the Bible is nothing more cursed than a snake. I don't want any kind, anything to do with any snakes. I won't kill them. You know, uh, especially the black ones and the green ones are supposedly that do the good stuff, but I don't want to be near one. Okay, those things are cursed. They begin to make excuses, though, as soon as they took in sin. So this is in our natural tendency now, just being played with sins, to make excuses. I watch my kids, you know, why did you hit her? Why did you hit your sister? Well, she... You know, it's never like, well, you know, I, I chose to do that, Dad, and I'm sorry. You know, you don't, you don't ever hear that. You just immediately, well, she, Caroline, why did you hurt your brother? Well, he, that is, it's a, it's a result of this. It's just in us now to make excuses. And as a born-again follower of Christ today, we got to choose to not make excuses. Could I come up with one? Of course I can But no, you know, like David, when he was confronted with that sin with Bathsheba, you know, what did he say? Well, it's really her fault. She shouldn't have been bathing naked out there on the rooftop. You know, it's her fault. He said, no, I have sinned. I'm the man, you know, do to me what you need to do. He took responsibility and as followers of Christ, that's our attitude. You know, it's Our fault. You know, if my kids, you know, grow up and they don't know the Lord personally, I'm going to take that personal. Did I do everything I could to speak that word and let them hear that word so that when they grow up, they put their trust and faith in Him. I'm taking responsibility for that. And yes, I'm glad I have Lifeline Community Church too, as they grow to help me in that when they're in those children's classes. Yes, to help me in that when they go to their... uh, to their H2O and, and all that, the other stuff, the chaos classes, you know I, want, I hope they help me in all that, but I will take responsibility. and I'm not going to blame their teachers if they don't get a good education. I'm not going to blame the church if they don't know God. It's me, and as a born-again follower of Christ, I will choose to not make excuses. Genesis chapter three, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all animals, okay? You'll crawl on your belly, and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. Now, this is where this gets really, really important, because we live in a time where we believe that the Lord is about to come back for us. You know, we believe in the twinkling of an eye, bam, we could... Go be with the Lord. You know, First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, that stuff. The Lord will descend with a shout with the trumpet of the archangel and, you know, we'll meet him in the clouds. You know, we believe we're in a time with that, that that, that could happen. So a lot of, you know, when I got saved, I got saved because of that. I didn't want to be left behind. I didn't want to go to hell, you know. I I drank all that in, and I was just like, i got to make a decision. i got to have Christ in my life. I'm going to be saved. It has everything to do with Him. And so we make a lot of decisions based on that. Um, That's the point of time we live in. But the point of time they lived in, they didn't have this. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have all 66 verses of the Bible. They heard God speak. This is what they had. And God, this woman, think about Eve, hearing, um, hearing God tell the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. and So there's going to be this hatred between you and the serpent. Hey, between you and the devil, she's going to hate you because you deceived her and what you did. And he's going to hate you because I'm going to make a promise to you. Between your offspring and hers. So, here, now, I don't know if she's already had children or if children are coming. I, you know, it's just one of those things we just don't know. He will crush your head. There's going to be some offspring come from this woman. He's going to crush your head. Okay? The head being where the venom is, where all the poison is, where he can do the most damage. It's going to, I mean, bam. Bam. You know, the day you get saved, you have the ability to do that. But for some reason, we let that snake live in our house. We let that snake talk to us. We try to keep it as a distance. And you, once you get saved and you've got the power of God, you have the ability to crush his head and not let that venom get in your home and your family. We have that ability. But so many just choose not to. And I'm no different. I didn't for years. And it says, and you sir, uh, you will strike his Heal. Okay? So this is this is just kind of this is the word of God that she had. To the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. So had she already given birth and it wasn't painful? I don't know. Um, but in this case, I'll make your pain very severe. Okay, so most of the women in here, can probably, especially the ones that were up here, can probably attest that epidurals and all that stuff are a really, really good thing because with painful labor, you will give birth to children. And so this is just part of the deal. You know, this is part of the curse. And we move on to Genesis chapter 4. She has children. Adam made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. So, Cain was born. And remember, the word is, there's somebody going to come out of me. We know this as all the way to the New Testament is Jesus Christ. He's the one that's going to come and do this. You know, and just like we have all these speculation of how the Lord's going to come back, it'll be a rapture, it'll be this, you know, we'll disappear, you know, all that. We have these notions of how it's going to happen. Eve had a notion of how she thought it was going to happen. So, as soon as she comes to having a little, a boy, okay, she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And you get the sense that she is excited about this. Now, why might she be so excited about this? Because uh, this could be the one. We got kicked out of Eden. And God said that through me, there's going to be somebody come that's going to restore us back to our original state. That he's going to take care of this sin problem. He's going to take care of the the devil. And he's going to take care of that evil. So maybe, and I might be reading a little too much into it, that she thought came. Here he is. Here is the Savior of the world. Because you don't get the sense that she's as excited about Abel. Because so, later, she gave birth to Abel. Okay? So, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man, Cain. Oh, thanks too, Lord. Here's, here's Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And we talked about this last week, so I kind of go through this pretty fast. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions for some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And we talked about the attitude, how as soon as it was offered, you know, and his was rejected. Of course, he got got angry with God, and that really revealed what was in his heart. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So, look at how God, and I want you to kind of notice is I think this teaches me a lot as a parent how to be with my kid. And this teaches me very much how God is with me when I'm not doing so well and I'm doing him wrong. So, we've all done wrong. Cain did wrong. I mean, we've all brought lame sacrifices to the Lord. We've all brought him leftovers and not our best. We've all done that. And so, you know, what do we do? Do we pout about it? Do we repent of it? Because the Lord is always this way with us. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Now you think about it. He could have been like, I can't believe you brought me that. Here's you a lightning bolt and a little dose of cancer. Can't believe you did that. But he was very patient with us. And he's asking him questions. Look, why? You know, why, is your, why are you like this? He says, look, Cain, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? Of course I'll accept. If you'll just change your attitude, if you'll just come unto me, if you'll just appreciate me, if you'll just love me like I love you, of course I'll accept you. But if you do not do what is right. There is this thing called sin, and it's crouching at your door. It desires to have you. There's this thing called sin that wants to rule our lives, and we've all been slaves to it to some part. Maybe it, maybe it's lying. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's there's no you know, whatever it is. It's just in us. And he's saying, listen, that in you, you got to find a way to rule over that. It desires to have you, but you've got to rule over it. And so what would Cain say in verse 8 when he, uh, when he hears that? You'd say, oh, you're right, God. I'm sorry. You know, let's, let's fix this. Nope. Cain says to his brother Abel. He doesn't even respond to God. He says to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, killed him. Why? Well, maybe mama and daddy's been telling me, Cain, that I'm the one that God's going to use to destroy and restore. But it looks like God's favor is on Abel in his offer, and his offering. It looks like he's the chosen one. So if it's just me and him, what happens if I remove the problem? Now, God's got to use me. Okay? So the Lord said to Cain, you would think with that kind of attitude, now God brings the lightning bolt, and now God brings the suffering and the pain. I mean, come on, bring it on. He deserves it, right? He killed that guy. Well, then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? Cain, okay, I don't think God didn't know. Of course he knew where Abel was. And of course he knew, but it's not about what he knows. It's about what's inside of Cain's heart. Will this change him seeing his brother laying there dead? Will it change him? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? That, to me, is the way of Cain. God, you're so big and bad. You know everything. If, where is he? Am I the one that's responsible for him? I thought you were the one responsible for him. You're the one that's mighty king over all things. That's the attitude he had toward God. So the Lord said, now. Okay, now he's been patient. He was patient with him when his attitude was bad. He was even patient with him after he murdered his brother. But now, the Lord said, What have you done? Look at that with the exclamation point. Listen, what does that sound like when God says, Listen, with an exclamation point. I can make it pretty brutal in my classroom when I need to, but this has got to be something. Listen, your brother's blood cries to me out from the ground. You know, it's almost like, Cain, hey, I can't believe you did this. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground. You know that ground that you work so hard and that you think you're doing and you think you're producing life and you can just grab a handful and say, here, God, you think, and you think that's good enough. Now that ground, I'm going to curse it. I had, I was giving a life for you even though you didn't appreciate it. But now that ground is under a curse. You've been driven from the ground, which opened its mouth. To receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it's no longer going to yield its crops for you. When you start thinking about the stuff that God could do if he wanted to. And Cain's experiencing it. You will be a restless wonder on the earth. Cain said, my punishment is more than I can bear. Is he sorry for his sin or is he sorry because he got caught? Or is he sorry because he's being punished? He's sorry because he's being punished. Today, you're driving me from the land, and I'll be hidden from your presence. You care about that all of a sudden now, being hidden from my presence? You wouldn't even respond to me when I asked you, you know, how your heart was. You just went and killed your brother. But now you care about my presence. He says, I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. And all that's true. But he says, and whoever finds me will kill me. That part's not true because look what happens. The Lord said, not so. Anybody who kills you, Cain, will suffer vengeance seven times over. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And so God did. He put a mark on his forehead or however it worked so that he would be protected from being killed. God was still a little bit merciful, very merciful to Cain and his reaction, you know, and how he, how he acted and all that. So what do we learn? Okay, and if the band wants to, uh, I don't know if they've already made their way back here. Or they, can, they can start. Uh, this is my first closing. Okay, <laughs> I usually have about three of them. So um, what do we learn from this? Now, just from reading that and stuff I thought of, one, don't show favoritism. I believe there had to be a little bit of that going on, okay? And I see teachers do it all the time. You know, your brother was all smart and all this, and, you know, why can't you be more like them? And, you know, I, I, I see all that, but look at how the Lord treats us in Colossians three twenty three. This is what I think of. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart like you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, if you do what's right, you work at your job like you're working for Him, you'll be rewarded, and so it 's the Lord Christ, your servant, remember it 's always all about him, and I love this: Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favor- favoritism. You want the blessing of God, live for him. you know you want to, you want the rewards of God, be obedient to His word, do the things He asks you to do, and that 's the great thing about these parents dedicating their lives. You know, to, to their kids and saying, look, I want them to grow up like the Lord. Look, just if they'll follow him and they'll follow his ways and you have a kid seeing that. And I want to be like dad. I want to be like mom. I want to marry a man just like his wife. I want to be a mar- You know, I want to be like them. And just to not show favoritism. Number two, lead them realistically. They're not the savior of the world or the next big thing. You can't live through them. You know, so maybe, you know, in my baseball career, I was good in high school and I did some college tryouts and realized I wasn't half as good as I thought I was. I don't have any kind of desire to to make Jameson the next big baseball star and I don't have to live through through him, and he doesn't have to be the next big thing, he just has to love God, and I have to put him in his hands, and God's hands, and let him make him what he wants, it's not about them, you know, becoming what I want them to become, it's about me putting them in his hands, and teaching them to cultivate a relationship with God, you know, I know my little girl, you know, she wants to be a little singer, she wants to be a star, but, you know, I, I, I gotta say, look, Whatever it is that God wants you to do, that's why. I'm not going to do like some of these parents that put them on American Idol in front of a million people and they can't sing and they make a fool out of themselves. I'm like, what an awful mama and daddy. Somebody told them that was a good idea. And they went on there and embarrassed themselves in front of the whole world. You know, don't be like that. You know, we've got to cultivate these gifts and put them in the hands of God and let Him start teaching them. And next, you know, our kids, they're not entitled. Teach them to serve. Uh, There's a story where Jesus, they were arguing and saying, hey, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus flat out tells them, listen, I know that's the way it works in the world, but with my kingdom... Listen, whoever is the servant of all is the greatest. He says, look at me. If anybody's entitled, it's me. I'm his son. I'm the son of God. And I didn't come here to to get all, you know, bask in my glory. I came here to serve. Do as I do. Teach them to be a servant. Because if they can learn that, then they can learn to trust God and serve Him and do the things He wants them to do. And last, remember that our children... Are not perfect. I said it about mine when they were born. Oh, she's perfect. Oh, he's perfect. Look at all this, and I hear it quite often. You'll see. Oh, this child is just perfect. How dangerous is that, though? And I want end with this. My last ending. I promise, guys. But uh, I remember my my little girl coming home from from Good News Club. And she, she had this little pamphlet, you know, and it had a white heart and a black heart. A white heart was clean and forgiven, and a black heart was full of sin. And she was so excited about this. Daddy, which one is my heart? Which one is mine? And, you know, right off the bat, everything in me, man, your heart's white. You're my kid. And, of course, you're, you're perfect. You're all this. And I just wanted to tell her she was fine with God. You know, here she is. She's five. You know, what do I tell her? And, you know, I just thought immediately, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I said, Caroline, I said, your heart is black. And, guys, I'm talking tears. I've never, I've never visibly watched conviction until I said those words to my little girl. And she's crying, and I'm talking loud. She says, Daddy, what have I got to do to make it white? And I thought immediately of those words of that Philippian jailer who was about to kill himself, and Paul, Paul and him say, No, don't do it. He says, Sirs, what have I got to do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and your family. And so I said, Caroline, listen. You've got you to ask Jesus into your heart. He gave his life so you could be forgiven and your heart could be made white. I said, do you want to do that right here, right now? And she said, yes, Daddy. And I got to, in my living room, lead my little girl to the Lord. And it was such a great and mighty and just powerful thing. And so I'm so glad that I got to be the one that did that. And later on she was the one that told my uh she she kept badgering me. I mean, Jameson's only four and he doesn't get any of it. She's like, Daddy, is his heart white? And I'm like, No, it's not. Well then he's gotta say that prayer like you did me. I'm like, Caroline, he's four. You know, he'll realize that just like you. And he she says, Daddy, we gotta fix it now. I said, Okay, Jameson, come here. And uh Hey, Jameson repeated the words, you know, and he says, he'll tell me to this day. That's when he got saved. They can tell me all that. And so, you know, her brother was the first person. She's like, this has got to happen. And it's just great to teach them that, look, why is your heart white? Because you asked for it. Not because you're my kid or not because of anything you've done. Not because you go to church. You're saved. Your heart is white because you asked him and he forgave you. And so, guys, I just hope I've taught you a little bit about the, the first family. Maybe some of the mistakes they've made. And some of the things we can avoid doing because, you know, we, we take a look at the way they did it. And so, guys, I just thank y'all. And let's end with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much just for this time. And thank you for uh, just this word. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord, thank you for using me to read it and to teach people, Lord, I'm not worthy of that. I'm nobody. I need to know just like everybody else. I need to be fed just like everybody else. And So I just pray that you'll empower me and us to continually and daily just read the words of God and take them in. Hide them in our heart, Lord, that we might not sin against you and that we might live lives worthy of the calling, Lord. We all, I pray that each one of us has white hearts that we've asked you into our lives to forgive us. And then we'll take that next step of obedience. And if anybody needs to be baptized, that they'll come talk to me. And we'll make that happen next week, Lord. And, uh, it's just in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much. Thank Amen. you for coming out to Lifeline Community Church. Stand, if you will. Let's go out with how great is our God.